Alright, so we're live. Uh, first time. And uh, if uh, somebody's out there watching and it's jagged up, somehow let me know. Uh, I'll uh, try and uh, check Facebook at some point here. But uh, So I got Keith Benning, who um, I haven't seen in such a long time. And, you know, you, you, I see some people that I haven't seen in a long time and they're like, I'm like, I have to do a double take. We're just at the 30 year reunion. Someone comes up to me and I'm looking at him and I'm like, oh yeah. They start talking and I'm like, that guy's in there somewhere. But you don't look the same. You look you look pretty much just the same. I mean, you know, facial hair and whatnot, but uh, but otherwise uh, the same. So uh, now we got somebody's watching. Um, but uh, we had the, we had first talked about having you out. Um, I was going to do uh, Second Amendment, you know, gun stuff. And you, you, you contacted me. And I'm like, dude, I'm totally looking to talk to you about the animal rescue thing, which is, it, it, it's really awesome. I mean, I, are you are you the one that's putting the website or the Facebook page together all by yourself? Because I don't see videos from anybody else. But It all started. It's um, well done as far as like. Yeah, no, there's people that are way smarter than me that do that now. Yeah, okay, good, Basically, good, good. Uh, ex-wife and I got everything rolling, but then we've got a, probably 20 online volunteers from all over the country. Oh, and, nice. Uh, we've managed to find ones that... So, yeah, there's a lot of people working behind the scenes. I'm just a guy on camera that picks up dog food. But, yeah, right. But, it, it you know, it's good. And then, the, uh, I mean, obviously you're doing the live videos from, you know, in the truck and then, you know, the ones that are there and stuff. Um, it's hard for me to keep, you know, following it because... The, the the goofy Facebook algorithm, you know, if you're not constantly engaging with Turtle Mountain, then I'm not constantly seeing everything. But you know, some of them are, you know, the I think we looked at a couple last night with the got the puppy that had the mange on his front and everything like that. And then uh, you give updates. I saw the one where the the one little little dog was like uh, wouldn't come out of the kennel. He was super super, you know, uh, kind of almost like a little bit aggressive. It's and they then, get feral. Yeah, yeah, right, thanks. right, 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 right. So how, uh, first, like we were talking, uh, we were out in the gym beforehand, um, we were talking about how, how'd you get out to North Dakota? How, how did that, like, why that state of all states, right? Like, there's, like, no one lives there. It's, like, uh, kind of insane that, like, you'd go from Chicago, which is a metropolis, to North Dakota. And it's not exactly, like, warm or no. nice or, like, you know, any of that, but No, winters are brutal. Um my wife at the time, ex-wife now, she was a RN for 15 years and then ended up going through nurse practitioner school. And okay. that's big cash for the loans. So yeah. she ended up, um, there's a federal government thing where if you work in a high needs area that they pay off like sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 of school loans. Oh yeah. So it was pretty much, okay, well, we can go in through this two year thing and knock off this much. So I was like, all right. Right, and that's a good idea. Didn't leave. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I was um, right after high school, like, um, got into construction, and then um, the company I was working for got kind of slow, and the guy's like, well, you know, put a broom in your hand, and you can, I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that, and I started, like, looking around for what I could do, and I almost went to Iran, because they were going to send me, like, it would have been tax-free, I think you made, like, back then it was a good amount of money, but it was, like, 50 grand for the year, but it was straight tax-free, so it was, like, that'd be awesome, you had to sign up like for a full year to go to Iran and do carpentry work, but uh, 
So I, I wish I would have done it now, but uh, it would have been interesting. So, I mean, that there's a I spent a lot of time like up Minnesota, up like you know I got family up in northern Wisconsin. Uh, used to spend two or three weeks a year in Canada fishing. Uh, there's an acclimation that goes on. Some of your videos I hear a little North Dakota in your uh, in your talk. Picking up a little accent up there. Yeah, you kind of can't help it. Sometimes. They got a little a doodle. How you doing there? You know, it's, kinda. I've noticed when I go back home and I'm like after I'm here for a couple of days and then I go back up there, it kind of changes because I absorb back to what it used to be. Yeah. And then people up there looking like yeah, you're talking right, talking like sausages from Chicago. And yeah, stuff, right, right, right. Uh, I mean, we used to. I, we never noticed any kind of. Uh, accent on us at all but me and this uh i don't know if you know phil Brelly or not but uh me and phil would go out to like the rockies to snowboard and stuff and we we look like two thugs we had like you know black leather jackets on and like you know we look like two guys that were hanging out the you know club or whatever here and we're snowboard but at night we put on like you know clothes that we thought we were supposed to go out and we didn't look like we were from there at all and the women there were like, oh, my God, you two guidos, what's going on? <laughs> like, we're from Chicago. And they're like, you sound like you're from New York or something. But uh, it's amazing when you go somewhere how much different the, the, the talk is. Um, I've never been to North Dakota. When I go way northern Minnesota, it's super laid back. I mean, everybody's, like, on a different time frame. You know what I mean? Like, they're for sure going to catch some walleyes and, you know, like, nothing's – here everything's you know you know you're running constantly. How's North Dakota? Is it a different pace? Yeah, I mean it's it's a big farm state, so you know, growing season wise, people are busy. But I mean, I live right next to the reservation, so um, that's where I spend the majority of my time. Right. So that's it's a different world there. Right. You always been an outdoors guy, so yeah. Once you're there, you're pretty much you're hooked, right? Like, I mean, yeah. yeah, I haven't honestly. I used to fish when I first moved there before they started doing the rescue stuff. I would fish all the time, hunt all the time. Um, last year, I think I went fishing once, and then this year I've gone once. But okay. I'm trying to make time, you know, because that's the thing is, is I was working seven days a week for months on end, and I just finally realized I can't keep doing that. So now I'm taking more time to yeah, right, right. try and do, get back into what I used to do, what I used to love doing. Sure, sure. Now the rescue, that's, uh, okay, so the videos I see, there's, it looks like you've got like some kind of pole barn space or something like that. It's uh, a 40 by 60 metal building and then a third of it is house and then the front two thirds, that's what I turned into rescue little by little. Okay. We so, were we were we started it in a one bedroom house and that was just a train wreck and then uh, I ended up sliding into this place and been staying there ever since and put the kennels in the guy that owns it does I've never even met him in person oh wow yeah he's some rich dude from Oregon and uh, he wanted a deputy to stay there to watch the place because he had problems with the. But the house part, you live in the house part. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, like, zoning-wise, they don't have the same... Uh, I live on 233 acres, and zoning-wise, I mean, it, it, that's yeah. the thing, is, is things are a lot more lax up there as far as... Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Right. So, so you're on the site all the time. I think I saw on the Turtle Mountain Facebook page that there's some, like... 73 puppies or something like that there's like a there's a ton of animals there or how many what, what do you got going on there we've got um we ended up putting in last year concrete kennels so we've got seven concrete kennels and then there's like a little it's almost the size of an ice house it's a little back room and that's divided in half and then now there's cats in one and then 
puppies in the owner and I got temporary kennels. I try and keep it to a, a certain capacity, but you run into situations to where basically, you know, they're, I mean, I had, I had, what was it, two weeks ago, um, this guy reached out about a mom and puppies that had, a, the mom had crawled under the trailer and he didn't know whose dog it was. And he's like, can you take them? And I'm like, yeah, not until tomorrow because every kennel I had was full. The temporary ones I had were full. And you got to watch from a disease standpoint because parvo and distemper and stuff is bad. Oh, I, yeah. So I was like, man, I'm like, I can take them in tomorrow. You know, I'll be over as soon as I get these ones moved out. Well, by the time I got there the next day, three of the puppies had frozen died. Oh. You know, so and that's the thing is, is you play God a lot in those decisions. And it's like, okay, yeah, I could have put them in the living room, whatever. But what I've learned from doing it is you got to draw a line sometimes. You right. Know? And you can't save everything. You do what you can, save what you can when you can't because you can't save them all. Yeah, right. And if you weren't there, they'd all be screwed. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're saving a whole mess of them as far as that goes. Now, as far as, like, uh, vets and stuff like that, um, do you get a bunch of hands on deck? Do do, do no one? Uh, no, one? No, there's... there's um, Two, there's one vet that's like 45 minutes away, another vet that's an hour away. The 45 minute one, it's pointless to even try and get in because there's a bad vet shortage in the state. The hour away one, <clears throat> I'll take the serious ones too, but I mean, we've spent, I would say, probably 40, 50, 60,000 dollars in vet bills over the last couple of years. So every time I go to the vet, um, I watch what they do, I ask questions, I have them show me how to do it. They've taken, um, animal advanced first aid classes and I do a lot of stuff myself uh, in the community I work on a lot of people's dogs you know to okay. they, if they can't afford a vet because I mean vet care and the thing is especially with on the reservations that people don't get is they assume that people are buying dogs or taking dogs and then they can't take care of them and that's where this problem comes from but the thing is is I would say 80% of the people don't buy dogs they take in strays a stray walks up starving they start feeding it and it becomes their dog well they don't a lot of times have the financial means to be able to afford for vet care so yeah, right I kind of fill that gap um, a lot of it is I had uh, big giant pit bull that got attacked by a mountain lion big gases in the back wow. um, dogs attacked by other dogs there's some wild and feral dogs and there's a lot of wild and feral dogs that run around so a lot of attacks a lot of that a lot of gunshots um parvo different diseases a lot of things. gunshots yeah really just like what people see it on their property they no wait, wait. it's a it's a cycle that basically you have a dog that wanders someplace people will keep it from dying they'll feed it and then the dog's not fixed and it costs 300 bucks to get the dog fixed and if you don't have you know we're the second poorest county in the state and we've got the highest jobless rate in the state so the money's not there because of the lack of vets that's unaffordable so you get overpopulation and what happens with overpopulation is dogs start to scavenge Sure. So they'll sure. go, they'll tear into garbage, they'll yeah, attack right. somebody else's dog for, you know, they'll go to eat some other dog's food. Yeah. And then, you know, if they haven't eaten in three days and they finally get food, they're going to do whatever they can to protect yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So right, you right. get into a dog fight. So, you know, it, it's a lot of people are just jag offs that are doing it, you know, because to me, if the dog's tearing into your garbage, we'll put your garbage up. But some of the dogs, even though they're not aggressive, you know, when you get that food aggression thing, it's kind of a different ballgame. So they'll be protecting their own dogs sometimes. Sure, sure. You know? Okay, all right. And, yeah. and like I say, there's just idiots. But yeah, I get, I would say probably two gunshots, three gunshots a month. Oh, wow. And, and then dog So the attacks. population up there, like, I mean, you're saying, it's 45 minutes to one and an hour to another vet. 
Like it's it, it you know everything's kind of spread out as far as things go. It's tough geographically because we're bordered by Canada. Okay. And like the the nearest like legit city is Minot, and that's two hours away. The next biggest city is three hours away, and then four hours away. So between wow. us and those major metropolitan areas. It's just little farm towns with a Dairy Queen, a gas station, a bank, a bar, and that's right, it. Right, right, so. right. So now, do you feel that, like, because of the way that it's spread, like, I would almost think there'd be less dogs in an area that didn't have as many people. Because, you I mean, people are the usually the problem, right? You get a dog, they just make puppies, and then, you know, like, that. that's how this goes, because it's, it's a domestic dog. So, like, you know, why are there so many dogs in an area that there's not that many people? Because there are a lot of people. I mean, basically, this the, the animal overpopulation issue is the same direct result as a lot of the problems is taking a group of people that have a lifestyle of nomadic and hunter-gathering and cramming them onto a 6 by 9 square and saying, you have to stay here. Okay. So you've got a huge, you know, you've got, you've got the housings and everything else. So, you, you know, you take all that land away and push people in. And then, you know, the fact that Canada's to the north. I mean, there's. It's not that people don't want to work. It's just there's no jobs. Yeah, right. You know what right, I mean? Right. And when you have that, and then basically, like any place you go in the country, I've done the disaster rescue stuff in Texas and North Carolina and been in Louisiana, and any place to where there's a problem economically and people don't have a lot of money and there isn't affordable vet care, you've got an overpopulation problem. I mean, right. was, Texas is really bad for it. And yeah, I, Texas is enormous as far yeah. as like I mean it's it's like you know the, the, I have family in Texas and it's crazy how far you can drive in between like two high schools that are going to play a football game sometimes they're on the plane because it's so far to yeah. go um, so yeah wow so yeah that's something to wrap someone's brain around as far as you know the distance goes and then you know lack of resources lack of vets like, you just got a lot of challenges as far as this rescue thing goes. Um, are there other rescues in the area? The nearest um, real one is two hours away. Wow. So, and then it goes to that same thing in two hours, three hours. There's a lot of little garages. There's like another little garage one that's in Devil's Lake. That's like an hour and a half away. And then there's another group that kind of works the same area and Devil's Lake a little bit. But capacity-wise, it's tough. And, and the thing is, is I'm not the first one to do it there. There's been... A ton of people that have tried it before but everybody lasts six months a year and they give up because it's basically unless you can focus on spay and neuter education um, a bigger treat the long-term stuff if you just focus on pulling dogs off it's just it's like trying to stop a sucking chest wound with a band-aid yeah you know right, you're right. never really gonna get anywhere you're gonna save lives that's why they have, we don't do, they call them surrender events. People can come and drop dogs off that they can't take care of. And it's like, okay, yeah, you just save 30 dogs, but there's going to be another 30 that are going to replace them. So you got to try and deal with Well, so I grew up grew up hunting, and was, uh, and we would see people drop dogs off and, and cats and stuff all the time. Like, like, you know, we'd go out to the hunting spot, and then there'd be a box, and there'd be puppies in the box. And I'm like, huh. You gotta be kidding me like what is this you know that you gotta be like why would you and uh last night at dinner girlfriend was like looking through the photos on the turtle mountain uh web page and was like how could people be 
such assholes. Like, how could... And I'm like, I, I couldn't. But I think plenty of people out there, you know, their lives suck. They're depressed. They think a dog will make them happy. So then they bring a dog into the situation. And then they realize they can't afford the vet bills. They can't afford to feed the dog. Maybe the shitty job that they had, they lost. So then they go do something stupid. What are people's options when they've they're in a situation where, you know, I can't I can't keep the dog. So it's a completely different um, situation up there than it is from most every other area. It's because it comes back to that that money thing. Um, but the good thing now is is eighty percent of the animals, ninety percent of the animals that we take in are from somebody in the community reaching out. And saying, "Hey, I, I found this dog. I saw this dog. Whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have the time to actively go out looking. So it's really the, the communities coming together. But the thing is, you have to realize, before we started doing this, people didn't know what an animal shelter really was. You know, and it wasn't a reality. I mean, the reality from inception of the reservation up until the last couple of years was." the only animal control was the dog catcher. And the dog catcher would come and pick the dogs up and he would take them to the dump and he would shoot them. And then he would keep the cycle going, you know. And they now, to, is there a culture, that, like, are you by a reservation? That's, that's Yeah, I'm basically, I'm, like, it, it's, it's the reservation is a square and then tribal land is sprinkled all around. Like, there's tribal land that's a quarter mile from my house. And yeah. so, and the, the population of the county is 70% native, so I mean, the reservation it's a technical boundary but um yeah it's just you know it's it's not it's not a culture thing as far as like native american culture it's just it's circumstance of the fact that you're an isolated community there's not a lot of money there's not a lot of access to vet care i mean and spay and neuter is basically the answer to everything if you can get control of that and they have i mean they've got one spay and neuter clinic that comes out once a year and I had this dude that he didn't have a vehicle and he had all these feral cats. And I'm like, you know, we got to try and stop this. So I picked them up. The registration for the spay neuter event started at 6 in the morning. We got there at 4.15 in the morning and we were too late. People had gotten there and lined up and stood outside at 2.30 in the morning. We went there the next day at like 4 and the next day at 3.30 in the morning and we were too late and too late. So we had to sit there until like noon to be able to squeeze one in from a cancellation that fell through right now how long does it take someone to how long does it take a vet to spade neuter a, i mean, I mean female this, takes longer right they can open that dog up right yeah i mean for for a spay you know it's maybe a 45 minute hour thing but then you've got recovery time coming out of it so usually there's it's a six hour block of you know from what that dog's down until they get the next one but yeah it's a, it's a solid hour if everything goes good yeah, so that's a, that's dog. a demanding amount of time, but if that dog's not spayed or neutered, the amount of puppies that a dog can create is oh, it's astronomical. Yeah. People can't believe it. I mean, I think it's after if you take a female and a male, and if they're both unfixed, and if all of their litters remain unfixed, I think after like five years, it's like thirty thousand. Oh yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's like nuts. a city, right, right. Uh, so okay, but so my uh, grandparents retired by Hayward, and there's a reservation there. And, you know, like, there is some, like, you know, cultural differences that go on. Like, they have, there was a big uh, controversy back uh, when I used to spend summers up there with them. And it was over harvest and walleyes. So, like, the American Indians up there would protest the white people being there by spearing 
as many walleyes as they want to, putting them in garbage bags and throwing them on the fucking road just to be like, you know, go fuck your tourism. You know, like, we don't want you here sort of thing. There's, for the people that are by that area back then, there were no bag limits. There's no hunting season because culturally that's their hunter-gatherer type people. So, like, you would see Native Americans with rifles on their sling, you know, slung, just walking down the street like you know they could just carry a gun wherever they want to that kind of thing they're they're not subject to the same rules i don't know if it's the same by you or not it's i mean a lot of it i mean i don't know anything about that particular situation but the majority of hunting and fishing rights are one of the few things that were kept by native americans from the treaties i mean i can't remember how many 900 treaties that were made and broken by the u.s government so Hunting and fishing rights were one of the very few things that were kept through a lot of the treaties. So I think people might hold on to that. You know, maybe some of the protests are misguided. But, um, yeah, I mean, hunting and I know up by us. Oh, I'm not even taking a side. I'm not even saying it's misguided. I mean, my grandfather was up there as a white guy, and he was pretty much like they kind of got a point with some of this stuff. Like they've, you know, you've gotten screwed to a point where, like, you know, you've got no tolerance for these tourists that come in there and you know there's towns like uh i don't know what the numbers are now there's towns like um there's an area in northern wisconsin that's woodruff Manaqua, and tomahawk these three towns that like make up like kind of an area together it's touristy there's fifteen thousand people that live there in the wintertime there's hundred and fifty thousand people that are there in the summertime so it's taxing even for a white guy that lives there, you know, all year round, you know, come the summertime when everybody's there. And it's, it, it, you know, they're trampling all over things and not, you know, having any respect for, for what's there. And from what I've seen of photos and stuff, North Dakota, it's a little more bermish or barren than like a Wisconsin. Like, oh, yeah, it's flat. Yeah, Except, I mean, right. unless you go far out west and where I'm at, it's completely flat until you get like five miles from where I stay and then it actually turns into the quote-unquote mountains, which are basically big foothills. Big foot, right, okay. And is it, uh, is that, is that is there an agricultural thing going on there? Is there farming or is it just open area? It's all, basically it's all farming. Um, okay. Almost everything's agricultural. And then when you get up uh, by where I'm at with, that area it's service industry you okay. know you've got your bars your restaurants your gas stations your yeah. part stuff so that's basically the main source of jobs um i think there's a hog farm a little bit west and then there's a few different plants around that people have worked at but you know they had a factory out there that was employed 150 people and they pulled it and moved it overseas so you know that was a huge loss yeah you know, shop right. closed down so you know it's since I've been there, um, the new tribal council is really working towards job development, but the economy has just gotten worse because of businesses pulling and moving overseas. Right. So and it really hurts us up there. Right. So every, every bit of an economic effect has an effect on the whole dog thing, right? Because, yeah. I mean, you know, as soon as someone loses their job, they're, you know, the first thing that's going to go is the taking care of that pet or, or however that it, goes. You know, it's... <laughs> It just makes it harder for me. I mean, I've gone into houses to where the people literally, I mean, they have nothing. They've got a couch. They've got a TV that's the size of your monitor. Yeah. And, you know, they're scraping by until the first of the month, you know, when they're able to get things and the dogs are healthy. Yeah. And well taken care of. So it's just, it's it's really hard to generalize and, and, and 
put people into a certain group because it's there's good pet owners, there's bad pet owners. It's just pet owners up there in general face a lot more challenges than people in normal places like where we were from do. So now with no population and you're in a re- obviously the idea is to get these pets homes. Do you? I mean, I know you do some traveling. You said you got like a two-year-old vehicle that's got like you know hundred and some odd thousand miles on it already. Are you pretty much just hauling these dogs long distance to get them to a more metropolis type of area where people have better economic situations and they've got a better, you know, stable situation to take these animals or Yeah, I mean you got no people there. How are you getting these dogs homes? We've got a large foster base in Grand Forks and Fargo. I don't really know how it happened, but it did. So that's where a lot of the dogs, most of the dogs will go there first. And then we finally started doing adoptions um, just because we had to. You know, we were taking them to different shelters and uh, the shelters couldn't keep up with what we were moving out. So with doing adoptions, it helps because there's a little source of revenue. So a lot of times what we'll do is if somebody's got a litter of eight puppies and they want to keep mom, we'll take the puppies and use the money from that to get mom fixed. Yeah. Now, do you ever run into? I'm sure there's some sad stuff. Like you run into something that, like you know, you you, you know, they don't make it. That you, like you said, the one the ones froze, but like something's diseased or gunshots and stuff like that, where it's you've got to get a hold of a vet to like put the dog down because it's in such bad shape. You know, and this is one thing that's controversial, and a lot of people get get pissed off and fired up about it. But a lot of times, I'll do it myself. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And no, I've done it. I've, yeah, yeah. yeah, we had a situation where a dog showed up, and I think it was there on my property to die. Like it was really old. It was, it was getting to be winter. Had almost no hair. Like it was just in bad, bad shape. And you know, we we helped it along. There was like you know, I called the vet, and he's like, "Listen, you know, there's nothing that I'm gonna be able to do with this that dog. Like it had." Uh, the nails on it were all like curled around like it was it was old dog um and it's terrible like that's a terrible terrible situation uh it's to me it's it's more humane from the simple fact that if if i've got a dog it's it's hurt bad um or it's really sick if it's never been in a kennel if it's never been in a car so now what you're saying is that it's more humane for me to take that dog put it in a kennel put it in a car drive it for 45 minutes terrified out of its mind yes right put it on a cold steel table have two other people with has no idea who they are come in hold its arm shave its arm stab it with the needle you know I, i don't like doing it and if i can i'll take them to the vet but if to me the better way to go out is is I sit with them for like 10 minutes. I don't just walk up. I sit with them, I bring them treats, and I pet them, and I hang out with them, and I give them treats, and I wait until they'll completely calm, and they're in a good place, and then I do it. And, I mean, and it makes it harder on me, but, you know, if, if that's your last couple moments, you got to do something to try yeah, and make it yeah. as good as you can. That's a tough, yeah, tough, tough situation for sure. Um, now, I've always been... I've always had hunting dogs. I, you know, I grew up hunting. I mean, my my parents had uh, English Premier Spaniels when, when we were kids, and we hunted over those dogs. And I've always stuck with um, hunting breeds. So, like, I got a golden that you met when you came in. Um, I, I've always stuck with the dog that was like there. That dog's mo that like when you came in, he's usually frantic to find something to bring you if you're the person that showed up like he's got a sock in his mouth he's got a teddy bear he's got something because that dog's 
sheer existence is to serve who you know people so he you know he, he loves people all the time I, I've said it before um, he's he'll be seven this year but my next dog I'm gonna try and do like I feel like it's taking a chance on a shelter dog because just like all people are not the same right like I mean I can take any kid I don't care if he's uh, got autism I don't care if he's super timid anybody I can teach him how to wrestle right I can teach you now will one kid be more aggressive than another kid will one kid be better at it than another kid when it comes down to you know where he places at the end of the year yeah but I can still teach him how to do it um, dogs for me are even more like that because they've been genetically engineered to be a certain thing like I've had four golden retrievers and their personality is almost identical all four times. It's just, hey boss, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I, you know, it's sort of a thing where I don't know if some people don't make, like I know AKC's got on their website kind of a description and like even the description of like what kind of family this dog could go to and like how much yard you need for this dog and everything else. People don't spend enough time looking into what they should, what, what kind of animal they would. My problem that I look at a lot of times, I see people that want a persona, so pit bulls are super popular because that's a persona thing that you're doing. I, you know, was never felt like I needed a tough guy dog because, you know, that's not what, the dogs, I like to have the dog and I want to hunt over the dog. Um, so then I think that people get, I, I would say that, if I put my golden retriever in a box and I poke him with a stick and beat the shit out of him and everything else, I'm never going to make that dog mean. What's going to happen is he's going to become super, super, like, um, you know, um, he's going to roll on his back. Yeah, he's going to show me his belly. He's going to do the opposite. But if I put a pit bull in a cage and I beat the shit out of it and I poke it with a stick, he's going to be like, when I get out of this fucking cage, I'm going to get a hold of you. So, like, I know some of it's conditioning. But that dog is more apt to have the result that's going to turn into a fighting dog than my golden is. That's just, you know, like the way that they're bred. There's a little predisposition towards that. But, I mean, the, the thing with it is it's a tough deal because people, they, a lot of times when they pick a pet, they pick it because they want a dog that looks like this. It's not necessarily the best And that way I better say something, too, because I know got people who got pits. And, like, my buddy Tony's got one. She's, she's a wonderful dog. I know that they're sweethearts. I'm not picking on pit bulls. I'm kind of picking on people that, like, it's the kid that's 16 years old that buys the Corvette. It's too much car, dude. Like, you can't handle that yet. Maybe you need to be a guy who owns a Chihuahua for a little while before he goes and buys the pit bull. Because I see a lot of pits in the in the rescue, you know, service or rescue it's, area. That's kind of like a bigger picture thing. Because, I mean, it, I'll speak on behalf of pit bulls. I've been bit... 30, 40 times by dogs, you know, doing catches, doing everything else. Sure. They yet to be bit by a pit bull. Themselves, as a breed, there really isn't a, a predisposition to to fight. You know, right. there's that, that's that misconception. I've got one at home that, you know, you could do the same thing. You could put him in a box and you could poke him and beat him and hit him all you want. And he's just going to cower and show his belly. And at yeah. some point he's going to fight back, but it's going to take a lot. What happens with pit bulls is that you get a lot of idiots that that's what they want because it's cool, it's whatever, and that person is already an idiot. Okay, so now they're taking an animal and they're molding it to be another idiot. 
Yeah, right. So, right. and that's where that reputation comes from to where if, if you've got a puppy that comes out that's a pit, you know, and you raise that dog the right way and you treat that dog the right way, you're not going to have issues, you know. But the problem that people do is, and that's why shelter dogs are good because everybody thinks a shelter dog's damaged. That's not the case. Right. Yes, yeah, some dogs are screwed up, but basically the owner is screwed up and that's why they're dropping it off because they weren't ready. Because they, what I see that happens a lot is, is I want to get a Christmas present. I want to get a puppy for little Jimmy to teach him responsibility. Mm -hmm. Jimmy, this is your dog. You're completely responsible for taking care of the dog. Nobody else is going to take care of it. It's not a thing. It's a family member. And when you bring that family member in, you need to make sure that everybody in that household, or at least the vast majority of it, is cool with that and that they've got an understanding and that they've taken a little bit of time to educate themselves, you know, even just freaking Google. Yeah. Getting a new dog. What do I need to do? You know, and in that way, you know, people are, are, are engaged as a family because the dog is becoming a member of that family. And the nice thing about a shelter pet is, is you can go in and you can see what the personality is like. You can see what the temperament's like. You know, you want a chill dog? Okay, then here. Hey, this dog is chill. Okay, well, it doesn't look like what I want. What do you want it to look like that for? So it looks cool when you take it for a walk so you yeah. can impress your neighbors? Or right. do you want to have a good member of the family? I mean, I've seen, you know, chihuahuas that are just raging assholes, but the person, I wanted a chihuahua. Yeah, right, right, you right. You know, right, right. get a chihuahua that's mixed with something else. And the other good thing about mixed breeds is, is, is just the genetic diversity. You've got a lot less health problems. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. For I got sure. a purebred German Shepherd that I got before I moved there. And, you know, her drive level is crazy, retrieves dogs, geese, whatever. But yep. she's got hip issues. She's hip got issues, skin right, issues. Right, she's right. got, you know, uh, food allergy things. So the, the more that you try and perfect that breed and the more that you reduce that gene pool, the more problems you Yeah, have. essentially that's the problem, right? That, that dog, even if it's like uh, – I've had good luck with, like, uh, somebody that, that bred a dog that was a dog – a golden that was bred with a, a English cream dog, which is a golden in, in Europe. So, like, they're, the gene pulls further apart that way. But essentially, a lot of people have, like, well, I got a golden, and my neighbor over there has got a golden, so we'll have puppies, and then we will sell the puppies to our neighbors, and then pretty much all the dogs are related in the area, and you got a smaller, smaller gene pool, and then you've got, you know, hip problems. And uh, my guy uh, that I've got out there, he gets a... Uh, and it just takes like a little bit of work, but he gets um, fungus on his feet where it's like you got to do these like uh, washes on his feet to get rid of that stuff. He spends his entire summer like swimming in in the lake. Um, and my sons are, they're pretty good with them. Like, you know, they, he gets a lot, a lot of exercise and everything, but they, uh, they were perfectly aware at 18 years old that that's, you know, a really good thing to do as far as girls go. Like, there's a fair in town here, right? And uh, I was out, I was doing something that evening, and I came back, and I go, hey, you know, after you get done lifting, go to the fair. So they went to the fair, and it's, the, the you know, the carnival situation, right? The tilt of world and all the other crap going on there and everything else. And I when I came back in, I'm like, so how'd it go? And they're like, well, we took the dog. And I'm like, why'd you take the dog? He goes, yeah, it didn't work out. The dog's never been, like, you know, to town. And then we took it with all the lights and people were screaming and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, why would you do that? And they're like, well, girls. And I'm like, all right, son. I don't know who, where you got that from. But, you're, you know, that's exactly right. And, I mean, uh, I showed my girlfriend last night your Facebook page. And she was like, oh, my God. Like, she just was, you know, in love with probably you and the dogs all together, which I'm sure is uh, – 
uh, an ongoing uh, struggle that you have to deal with is uh, batting off all the ladies that. Uh, it's you know I'm trying to do the right thing for the right reason and if yeah. they like great and if they don't then that's yeah cool right too. right 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 no but I mean. It's a girl magnet as far as the puppies go. Don't don't act like it's not. Uh, but um, and I mean you know, I'm surprised that like and I know genetically like they say that puppies, like they have that adorability because it helps them survive. Like as far as life goes, right? Like if a human gets a hold of a cute puppy, they're gonna nourish it and take care of it. If the puppy was ugly, maybe not so much. So then the cute ones get to survive, pass their genes along. And they're cuter and cuter and cuter. Uh, the, I mean, like I said, she was flipping through that thing and like, there's so many like, oh my God, look at this. And there's some completely, it is, it's amazing that somebody could, some of these dogs, how good looking the, the ones that you have over there are, that someone could drop that off. It's, you know, it comes back to that same thing to where, you know, people acknowledge the fact that, hey, I'm not in a position to take care of this dog or I want to make sure that this dog or this litters of puppies finds a good home and they know and that's one thing that you know we make sure that the screening process is good and we don't yeah, I was gonna we ask don't you about do that. we don't do like personal home visits we do virtual home visits you know with cell phones now Too somebody far. can walk yeah. through and show the house um, so by making sure that the screening process is good you know when I go to a house and the people are making the sacrifice for the dog I mean a lot of times kids are crying because they don't want to see the dog go. But mom and dad know that, hey, you know, this is a better place for it. I can promise them we're going to find it a good home. Yeah. You know, and that's important to me because I've, it's one thing I've, I've tried to do is even when it's bit me in the ass is always be honest and truthful with people, you know, and let them know, you know, sometimes, hey, you know, this dog is too aggressive. It's not going to work, you know, or when treating ones in the community, you know, after I'm done, just tell him, look, this dog is probably not going to... I mean, I had, this, I had this dude that he he brought up a chihuahua. He asked if I could trim the nails. And I'm like, yeah. And as I'm doing he's like, you remember him? And I'm like, no. And he's like, you don't remember the scars? And I look, and this thing was just mauled. I mean, another dog grabbed it and just tore it to shreds. And right. As I was working on it and trying to seal everything up and got it to where it was stable, gave it fluids, and I'm like, this dog's going to die. And I'm like, I'm telling you right now. I'm like, here's some antibiotics. Here's this. You know, it's going to die. And the thing lit. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's people care about it. It's, it's, there's a big misconception that it's people who are abandoning them or throwing them away. You know, that does happen, but the most part of it is that people are now able to recognize that there's a resource there that was never there before. You know, and it's hard for us to even conceptualize that because there's always been an animal shelter. There's always been someplace to take something. When you've, from like literally brontosaurus days up until now that's never existed so it's not in somebody's consciousness so we're actually changing that you know and i've gone to you know some of the houses to where the mom will ask the little girl you know tell them what you want to do so i want to be a vet i want to work in an animal shelter yeah, yeah, so yeah, i mean yeah. that's been that's a huge thing because it's just it's such a shift and something new you know when people are more and more realizing you know about being a good pet owner and a, that there is a way you know because i think honestly what happens to a lot of people and maybe that's why some get turned in is people will become jaded because it's hard to not be because if you care too much and you know that you can't take care of it and you know that if the dog gets hurt it's going to die 
maybe you seal yourself off emotionally from that a little bit because you don't want to feel that pain. Yeah, it makes sense. But now with, you know, another option and if we can actually get a building up next year, you know, it's going to change. And with doing a youth program and everything that we're, we're talking about trying to do, I mean, I think it's going to be a permanent long-term change. And what my hope is that it can be a model to be used for other reservations around the country right. because the reservations, they've got a lot of things stacked against them. The yeah. people in the, in the area do. Right, right, right. Well, and then there's, you know, the, you know, the reservation thing too, there's a lot of uh, alcohol abuse. And, and I mean, the, those people are dealt a bad hand to begin with, you know, as it is. And then I don't know how it is out by you, but American Indians and dogs, there is a culture, that history that goes back way back like there was at one time no no dog or no uh, horses on this in this area. American Indians used to use the dogs to haul their gear and everything else. Like I mean, you know, native tribes had dogs. They kept native, dogs. One thing, Native Americans. What? Not American Indians. Oh, okay, Native Americans. Yeah, right, right. Okay, all right. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll be corrected. That's fine. Uh, so okay, so yeah, American Indians is right is, is is the the old term right now. It's it's even I mean the the, the respectful the term indigenous would either people. be indigenous Americans, First Nations, or Native Americans. Right. So, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, you're in North Dakota. You're I, you know the last time I saw an indigenous person from this country, like it was probably I was probably you know four or five years ago when I was up in Minnesota and we were somewhere near that but like you know obviously you don't see that many around here or someone that's got you know one eighteenth percent you know Cherokee or something like that and you wouldn't know it if you saw them but no I, I you know I'm not the most woke guy in the world for sure but I'll you know give it a try uh but um you know so they I mean there's a, there's definitely you know there was a necessity to have dogs back a couple hundred years ago if another tribe was going to come in and raid, they were the first alarm system for, for the tribe. And then hunting and all the other stuff, it's the dogs. Uh, I have hunted over dogs almost my entire life. Hunting over a dog and not having a dog, is a it's a completely different game. And like we used to lose pheasants and stuff like that, or even ducks and everything else without a dog. You don't lose anything with you get the dog. A dog knows exactly where that thing is. I mean, it's amazing what a dog can do as far as... Like, a dog can smell where something walked. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's not that it... Like, pheasants, you'll see some, some pheasant shit here and there, but that dog knows when it's got something, like, right in front of it as far as it goes. Like, that the bird was just right here. He's right on his footprints. Like, you know, you couldn't... If someone paid you a million dollars, you couldn't smell where something walked. So, you know, dogs were super valuable as far as that goes. And then... You know, now you've got the situation where those people have been forced onto a small, small area. You know, well, what's the population of? Uh, I have. I was waiting for you to ask yeah. me that question. I got absolutely no, no idea. No, no, no. I mean, but so when you're there, like uh, percentage-wise, do you? Is it is it a lot of indigenous people or? Yeah, the county's seventy um, percent, and we're. I'm at. I mean, most all of my friends are native, and yeah, that's okay. where I. I mean, I'd spend 90% of my time. So, I mean, the only difference between living there is the fact that I don't technically sleep there. But, I mean, most everything that I do is, you know, there's other towns um, that are near there that, you know, population-wise are more white. white but typically, if i got to go to the grocery store or the gas station or whatever, I go. Yeah. 
up on my grandparents, it was that way too. If you went to the went to the grocery store and stuff like that, there was it was a lot of the the locals were. The, I don't know what the percentage is there either, but if it wasn't touristy time, it was there was a lot of indigenous people that were working those jobs and everything else. Um, so now we've talked a lot about dogs, but I do see some cats on there and stuff too. Does a cat just make it better on its own in the wild than a? Because we got wild cats right here in, in Mantino. That cats live just fine. Cats don't move. That's the problem. Is you, you, you know, like a dog. You, you know, people want puppies. They want cat. They want dog. Cats. It's just hard. Like a, I can, a cat is gonna sit for three times longer than a dog is before we can find somebody to adopt it. Before we can find it a home. Um, every other rescue and shelter in the state and the surrounding states typically they have no room for cats. So cats, it's just basically take in what we can take in until we find them homes and open up space but we've got a waiting list 30 deep for cats and there's just nothing else we can do i mean i'm allergic to them and i still go and pick them up and rescue them and 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 save them and stuff i don't have as much contact time and i don't really typically do the videos of cats as much just because otherwise i'm wiping my eyes and sneezing for yeah yeah right, two hours right. afterwards i saw the one on there with the antlers on his head the like uh, it was like some kind of like, like christmas looking costume he had on or something but uh uh it's probably tougher too because like I had there's a cat here and the dog the dog is more of a like part of the family where the cat's just someone who's like you know he lives here um, sort of thing like he he likes people but he could do without them too you know yeah. what I mean like sort of thing so um, a cat's got to adapt itself to being a wild cat a lot faster and a lot better than a dog adapts himself to being a wild dog We've been out hunting and seen, you know, four or five dogs that were completely feral. Like, they, they were surviving probably just fine on people's garbage and whatever they could scrounge up, catching rabbits and squirrels and stuff like that. But um, we see wild cats all the time. Feral, feral cats, to me, are impossible to turn. I know there's some people that can do it. Feral dogs, if they're... Under a year, you got a decent chance. If they're under six months, your chance gets better. When they hit that four-month mark, you know, because I've gotten a lot of feral puppies in, you know, and they're under four months, I can usually turn them. And oh, I, yeah. I, can get them, I can get them started, and then after I get that initial breakthrough thing done, then send them to a foster and they can turn them around. But feral cats, basically, when we've run into that, um, we just try and find a barn, find a farm that'll take it, get the cat fixed. Yeah, yeah, and then it won't reproduce. It to, yeah, right. just give it to a farmer. You know yeah, and then he's the mouse abatement yeah. uh, program situation, right? Which that that works out too. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the cat that we have here has never in his life not had food, but he still kills stuff every chance he gets. Um, they're killers. You know, I mean, they're, they're they've got a lot more tools. I mean, as yeah. far as in modern times, from a hunting perspective, a cat's going to have a higher survival rate just because it's faster, it's able to stock better, it's able to you know get more small game. I mean, dogs are they're going to be a pack hunter. Yeah, you know, and are you going to be able to find three or four more dogs to run down a deer to run whatever it is? And we had one pack that was actually a cannibal pack of dogs that was up there that was killing other dogs and eating them. Right, right, Which right. they finally, the law enforcement finally took them out. But, I mean, that's the thing is, is, you know, it's like a wolf pack. That's how dogs will hunt, whereas cats are solitary, so, bleh, solitary hunters, so they don't have to yeah. have more animals to be able to right. 
provide for them. Now, I saw a video on the uh, Facebook page about a female dog that you were you had fostered for a while, and then you were like they had found a home, so you were taking her somewhere. Yeah, it was just to another um, another shelter. Oh, another shelter. Okay, so, all right. And then they'll find her. Like yeah. I mean, if you go to the shelters, I gotta imagine it's different because ge- you know geographically there's no one there, or you know not not that many people population wise. But if you go to a shelter here. Some of them first are kind of disgusting. It's like, you know, you need more volunteers to clean this place up because it's a mess. But it's like always a mixture of cats and dogs um, in there. And, you know, I, I went to a shelter uh, when we were looking for a cat for my daughter, which, you know, my daughter has nothing to do with the cat now, and I, I now own a cat. But uh, when we, we went to a couple shelters to look, and every shelter we went to, there was two or three groups of people that were looking at the animals at the time. Do you get foot traffic in there too? No, I don't because it's just, <clears throat> because it's my house yeah, and right. it's the rescue. Um, and there's there's a huge methamphetamine epidemic up there. Oh, um, wow. You know, as a, a deputy, I would say that 90% of the property crimes and a large percentage of the other ones are related to Ivy Matthews. So, and that's a common thing that everybody is dealing with up there is the problem with meth. So, now wait, Ivy Intervenus? Yeah. I didn't even know that they took meth that way. Oh, they yeah. No, they it. don't even. Now, they'll smoke it sometimes, but you get a better high if you shoot it, I guess. So, most people up there shoot it. I would say probably 70%. The rest Man, I would. That, that always boggles my mind. Someone that's in a completely shitty situation would like to stay awake for three days. It's I, the high, I mean, from what I've been told, um, it's just, it's an escape from reality. It's like anything else you do. Euphoric. It's like, it's like so dr- it's, you know, it's like drinking, it's like smoking pot, it's taking pills, whatever, you know, somebody is doing, typically they're doing it to put their mind in a different place, you know, Got it. and meth is just another way to do that. I mean, and it's, it's cheap. I mean, obviously I wouldn't suggest it, but... It's an escape. It's like any any chemical that we take to try and relax is an escape from our current mental state to get into a different sure, one. So meth, sure. And the thing with meth is, I think the problem is that, and what I've heard from most of the guys, and I've got a lot of friends up there, a lot of friends that have used and managed to get clean and get off of it, is that they get hooked so fast. I mean, it's like legit one time and it's... Yeah, you're looking oh, to do it again. Yeah, I mean, wow. and it, it, that's from... You know, I talked to one dude, and he had done basically every drug there was, and he said meth is the most evil thing that there is. He said because as soon as you do it once, you're hooked. Yeah, the before and after photos are are, are pretty wild. As far as like, there's some people that looked like attractive people that had the you know everything in front of them, and then the, they look like uh, they look like the moon, man. They look like pock marked yeah, up. Yeah, you can just... you can tell, and that's the thing I always like to see is when somebody that I know was strung out when I've seen that they're fat. It's always a good sign. Yeah, it's yeah, like, hey, yeah, dude, it's like, you know what, I'm glad. And like, how'd you know I was clean? I'm like, because you put on like 50 pounds and you're actually eating. Yeah, which right. Which is awesome. Right. Yeah, and I vacuum in their uh, roof or something crazy. Uh, so, yeah, foot traffic-wise, um, due to that, the location, it's not secret, but I don't have it open to the general public. Right. You know, I had some issues with things going missing before, but the thing is, is any place that you have um, a drug problem, you're going to have that, so I just kind of keep it. So do you, like, do you screen your volunteers and stuff like that? Because it's your house, too. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, there's, there's not a ton of volunteers. i got a couple of employees. I've actually been doing a lot better lately 
with um, local volunteers. But I mean, the thing is, is it takes a long time to get accepted by the community, you know, and that's been a struggle because it's the little cultural things that are different of what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. It took me a long time to learn because there's things that are, you wouldn't think of, you know, and it's gotten, you know, to now to where I, I invited to go to an EP, which is Sweat Lodge and go to that and um, Sundance and the different ceremonies and things like that. So the acceptance part as that's grown, the volunteer base has grown. Now, what can uh, people, because I mean, you know, You've got a, a bunch of friends and stuff like that that live in this area. What can someone do that's further away from you to, to help out? I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm obviously not going to place a puppy because it's so far away. But, like, what can some besides, like, donate? And I saw you had a, a fundraiser thing that just came up, too. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I mean, donating is the number one thing because that's what saves dogs. But... Excuse me. We always need online volunteers. I mean, I've got three, three ladies from down here. One in Joliet, one's in New Lenox, and then I can't think. Oh, my cousin, she's in Streeter. That they're online volunteers and they help. Just help with. put the page together and stuff. Well, or? no, I mean it's because you got to figure. It's like okay, I get the message comes into the page, so then you have to have somebody that's on there that's opening messages, you know, to read and then get the information about where it is and you know who's got it, how old it is, has it been sick, you know, they've got a bunch of questions to ask, and then forward it on to me, um, and then you've got messages just for, hey, you know, I want to get a T-shirt or I want to adopt the dog or a million different things so messages i think there's like six or seven people that are on there and because everybody's doing it on a volunteer basis you know and all of them have full-time jobs you you know it there's always gaps so we're always looking for people for volunteers like that okay. and then um the adoptions team you know they're all volunteers and they're all screening you know going through applications so, yeah, well explain that a little bit too the screening because like i mean if someone shows up and they see all the beautiful puppy pictures and they're like oh i want a dog but you know they're never home or they don't have they live in a you know third floor apartment and stuff like that and they like to get this saint bernard that you've got there do you screen it that way where you yeah. don't so you, yeah, you're like you take, hey, no you know, yeah i mean we'll, we'll take all that stuff into account because you know like a husky in an apartment that you're gone for 10 hours a day it's yeah we could make two hundred dollars adopting that doggy but it's not a good home for the dog so it's like why rescue an animal only to put it into a dysfunctional home right. and i've it, like that's one thing with like money i always bring up this one example there was a lady that she was really rich and you know and a lot of the people think oh we've got money then you're going to be able to afford whatever with the dog yeah she would be gone all day when she when she woke up she would let the dog out for 10 minutes and she would feed it and she'd put it back in the kennel and then she'd be gone for eight or ten hours and then she would come home she would let the dog out for five minutes and then put him back in the kennel and then the dog would sit there until dinner time Why and then dog? and then at dinner time you know she would let him out and let him eat and then put him back in the kennel and then she called the complaint because the dog was always hyper and the dog's always jumping and tearing up the carpet and i'm like well yeah, because you're keeping it in the freaking box for right. well, 15 and, hours a day. And breed has something to do with that, too. I knew guys that had, that had like German short hairs, and that dog is bred for action. Yeah. Like, if I go uh, pheasant hunting and we walk four miles, that dog does like 18 miles back and forth through brush. He better have energy. If he doesn't, he's a worth shit hunting dog. So 
these guys with the German short hairs would get the dog out a mile before they got to it and run the dog next to the car so that it would calm the dog down a little bit. Because if they didn't, they'd get out, be getting the guns out, and the dog's already scaring birds out and running, and it's gone. Like, they got to go catch the dog later. And that's um, why shelter dogs are a good option for people, because you can go in and you can see the temperament, and you can see what the behavior's like. Is this dog, like, jumping nonstop, or is it a chill dog that's just laying on the couch? Do they, now, do you ever temporarily put something with somebody with a dog, and, like, okay, if it doesn't work out, do they bring them back to you? Or? Yeah, well, and that's what we ask, is that if the dog doesn't work, that you bring them back. Um, and I think there's actually something in the contract that they have to do that, you know, that we'll refund the money, whatever, but that you're not supposed to sell the dog. Whatever, because in that, right. that's that same chain that starts with me in somebody's living room when their kid's crying. And I look down at the kid and I look him in the eye and say, I promise you, and make sure this dog gets a good home. Yeah. So that requires follow through all the way up after adoption to make sure that, okay, if this is a bad home, we're bringing the dog back. Yeah. And right. we're going to start. And it's obviously non refundable. Like you can't, you know. No, what, I mean, we have. I mean, you have refunded their money even? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you, know, you still did all the work for, for, for the job. It, it, seems it like. comes, you know, and the thing with all of this, and I think that's why we have the following that we do is, is it's kind of been based off of principles and not money, and it's the real side of rescue. You know, it's not the polished, professional, whatever. I mean, it's a dude at 2 a.m. drinking box wine out of a Subway cup playing with an injured puppy because it's got mange and hurt and nobody wanted to touch it. Yeah, right. You know, and it's the same thing with, you know, we're, we're trying to – Everything that's happening with this, we're trying to help animals, we're trying to change things, and we're trying to do it for the right reason. And any time that we've had somebody that's come in and volunteered that's wanted to shift it away from the right reason to something else, they haven't worked out, and we let them go. Yeah, right. So, I mean, you know, like, uh, uh, what you call it? Um, now, does the acreage help you out having the area? No, because everything's got to be in a kennel. Yeah, right. I mean, if it's right. an adult, if it's like a couple year old adult, then it and it's the fur is like a longer fur than if it's wintertime like now, it can go on an outside doghouse because you've got insulated doghouse with a double run and heated water bowls and stuff. But if it's a year or under, it's got to be on concrete for two weeks just wow. because parvo is such a horrible, horrible disease. And a dog that had that, yeah, had parvo, and it was yeah. a touch and go for like uh, two weeks whether he was going to make it or not. Yeah. And you're talking anywhere from 600 to $2,000, and the bad thing with parvo is a cold environment like that. The only thing that kills it is UV light. You can freeze it to 200 degrees below zero, and it's not going to affect. The yeah, it's it's transmitted through the crap, right? Is that yeah, it's only through it's only through fecal. Um, it's not urine, it's not blood, it's just fecal. But the problem is, if a dog does that, if he if he poops in late fall right before winter starts, and it's in a shady spot, and it doesn't get a lot of direct sunlight, which are you know our days are really short in the winter. Yeah, that can live for six months to a year. I mean, yeah, if it was, I think a lot of people that live around here don't understand. Like we used to do a fly-in in Canada. It's amazing how short the summer season is when you get right by Canada. And then the fly-in that we did was was pretty far up. We drove like eighteen hours up, and then they flew you a hundred miles north of there. But we, you know, we're flying in with a bush pilot, and the bush pilot's like, it's like the last week of May going into June. He's like, oh yeah, we were just out in snow machines just last week. And I'm like, really? He goes, oh yeah. He goes, all these lakes a week ago covered in ice. So May is winter time. Yeah, we're we're there. It is where we're at too. Right, right, right. I, I mean, mean yeah, May, you're, May, May is your center of the of the uh, country too. So like you're the coldest 
whatever they say, Fargo's the coldest, uh, you know, spot in the country that, that hits the cold. Because the coast is what keeps. If you're in, if you're in Quebec, it's super nice there. Like as far as the spring and the fall and all that goes, because yeah. the water's warm, the ocean. Uh, so yeah, no, I mean, you 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 got to be right. It, it's it, that's tough. And then if that stuff's in shade, it's making it all the way through the winter. It, Parvo's, I didn't think about it that way, but Parvo's got to be a bigger problem up there than it is in Florida, for sure. Right? Yeah, it's, it's you know, it was when we went down for Hurricane Harvey for the disaster stuff, um, I ran into a lady that she was running a shelter, a shoestring budget, only a small handful of people, and, and she was just fed up, and she went on a rant about, you know, everything with, you know, money and local politicians and people not taking care of animals and everything else. And it was identical to the problems that I faced. The only thing different was that they lost dogs due to heat exhaustion and heartworm, and we lose them due to freezing to death and parvo. Yeah. So, and it was the same thing. She was in a poor area. So, yeah, it's, you know, up by us. You know, it's, I mean, what I, like, wintertime, typically when it gets down into the little bit below zero for four or five days, that's when you had the first die off. And yeah. that's when the really sick, really weak ones, they don't make it. And then, you know, as it goes, then when you get like the planet hoth, planet bullshit, as I call it, one to where it's 20, 30, 40 below for four days, right. then that's your main die off. And that's, and the thing that not to promote our dogs, but natural selection still exists with the population. And you don't get that in too many places. Yeah. Because if a dog is out on their own, you know, and they don't have somebody that's taking care of it. They've got to find shelter. They've got to find food. You know, they've got to be healthy because if they're not, in a lot of cases with the strays, they're going to die. You know, yeah, right, so right. it's not like Muffy the poodle who her mom and dad are in some breeder's wall on cages that, okay, now it's six months have gone by. I'm going to get her pregnant again so I can sell more puppies. Right. You know, this is actual having to survive in the wild and having to make it through a lot of adversity. So, you know, it, my opinion, a lot of them are smarter. You know, they're smarter and they're they're better adapted. And they, you know, health problem wise, we have a lot less health problems. Now, how about like I said the, so I mean, I said something that was probably stigmatic of like, you know, I said I was going to take a chance on a on a shelter dog. The next dog I'm going to get is going to be a dog with And so you would say that. You know that's a stigma that you got to get rid of. That 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 they're not taking a chance. That most of them, you know, I mean, do you have a lot of like wildly successful stories as far as people that came to get a dog? The dog was, you know, skittish. We took a dog from a family. It was a it was a purebred uh, English uh, Springer Spaniel, and uh, it its main problem is a female dog. It, every time I was excited, it peed everywhere. It just peed everywhere. And the people who had it had it in an apartment. They should have never had an apartment in the first place. I think they were gone all day long. So the dog was constantly holding it. And then when the people came home, she was super excited. She'd pee everywhere. So they didn't want the dog anymore. We took that dog. We had a nice backyard. There was three kids. We hardly had any problem with the dog peeing in the house. Now, if you got her super excited, she would pee on the patio or whatever outside hose it's gone whatever that's not a problem but if you have an apartment it's an issue right because she's constantly pissing in the house um so uh, like i you know i would think that if you had success stories 
those would be great things for your web page would be successful. No, we get there's I mean if, when you look at the write a comment thing, there's so many comments on there from people that have adopted and whenever we'll do a post, people will send pictures of, you know, their dogs that they adopted from us. That, yeah. You know, it's I mean <clears throat> we don't have a lot of returns. We don't have, you know, a lot of bad things that happen, you know, every once in a while, yeah, you've got a dog that'll have some kind of issue that the owner isn't ready to deal with or more importantly that the owner isn't ready to invest the time to yeah. deal with you know because i mean it's but yeah it's the thing with with rescue dogs with shelter dogs number one a, a rescue dog like not a shelter dog because there's a difference because a rescue is basically okay i'm going to stop you from dying right now mm -hmm. and then once i get you stable and i get things set up i'm going to send you to a shelter which is a longer term environment that people can come into to look and see what you're like yes they, they get foot traffic out. right but in the thing that everybody has said is, and it, you can't, you know, assign human emotions to animals, but in my opinion, you can when it comes to being appreciative. When you have a dog that has literally come from nothing, that has been starving, that hasn't had food, that, you know, has had injuries and hasn't had attention and all these problems, it's like a spoiled kid versus a kid that's grown up rough. They're sure. They appreciate that stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean, they appreciate just the fact that you give them food. Versus, you know, Muffy, the line bread, labradoodle, whatever it is, because you wanted to have one of those because of the name, because of the look, whatever, you know, they don't care. You know, I want this. I want that. They just, I don't know. I mean, rescue dogs from where we're at, like I say, they're, they're more appreciative. And I've heard that so many times that that's why I kind of stand behind it, even though the psychologists right. say it's not a possibility. That's why I like ugly women. <laughs> There you go. But I mean, the thing with the thing with any shelter dog is the thing with the shelter dog is that you can go in and you can gauge that personality, you know, versus I wanting a dog that looks like this and okay, I want to pick that one because he's got a brown spot in his eye. Well, you know what? He might be a raging asshole. Yeah, you know, and that's the other thing that you get too is when you have purebreds and linebred dogs that you know. I mean, I shouldn't pick a dog that's going to look good on Instagram. No. No, actually, you know, the, the, the really adoptive ones are the really cute ones that are the really ugly ones. It's those middle ones. The black ones are the worst. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, it's like a dog racist thing. Black dogs, <laughs> it's actually, it's called black dog syndrome. They are the least adopted dog in any shelter. I wonder if that's a, I wonder if that's a thing. Because some of them look a little bit like, uh, I won't say shifty, but like, I don't know, when I, when I see some black dogs, I think like, Maybe he's like a little more vicious or a little like this the teeth are a little whiter. Being a racist, yeah, though. right, right, right. I like black women; they're very <laughs> fine. Uh, but uh, um, so uh, yeah, so that that is kind of it's harder to see him. Is one of the main things that they say is that you know a dog that has different colors when they're in a shelter they'll stand out more. I mean, just the the fact that you know they're more plain is one yeah. of the larger reasons why but yeah they've done studies and then they're like the least adopted wow yeah my sister had a full out all the way black cat and when they came home with it i'm like really no superstition problem at all here right <laughs> that cat's gonna cross your path like three times a day and you're cool with that like and then steal your soul as it goes yes out right 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 uh what you call it uh so, yeah so but i mean it, for you that's got to be tough when you a dog that's in bad, bad shape's a project, right? I mean, that's like a, a work. And I mean, I saw you like, uh, you know, you know, I was just kidding with the you know trying to pick up chicks thing, but the because it's it it is like 
the girlfriend was looking at it. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I'm like, do you realize how much poop that guy's got to pick up? Like, I mean, there's that's a job, I mean, to, to, for, for that thing. And then there were ones where you were feeding, uh, bottle feeding little puppies and stuff like that. Do you have something in... When somebody comes and they like, because the puppy's got to be easy to get rid of, right? Like the 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 you know ones that are three months old, that's that's a dog, that's a brand new. You can make that whatever you want. Um, but do you have something in there that says, hey, we're gonna give you this twelve uh, week old dog, but you need it's a mandatory. You need to get it neutered or you need to get it spaded. Yeah, there's some there's in the contract actually that's part of it, and we do follow up to make sure that happens. Um, there's rescue people the rescue community in general is really critical of each other and there's always a lot of conflict and a lot of drama that you know the general public has no idea i mean it's a jerry springer train wreck a lot of times with really? different rescues yeah and wow. that's i've had one that said that you know we shouldn't even be operating because we're not spaying and neuter dogs before we adopt them and you know there's no reason that we shouldn't even be allowed to run because we're not doing that because is there that's a competition that's thing their, or just a mean girl it's thing? A, it's, a, it's a little bit of both. It's, you know, and, and I I was the same way with certain things. Like, you know, people need to learn to work together for the bigger picture. And if you don't like how another organization is doing things and if they're not doing it your way, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. You know, and my argument was to her, okay, I'm going to stop today. We rescued 75 dogs this month, and they're all going to die next month because the next 75 we can't take in because if we afford, if we spend the money to spay and neuter each of them, we're broke. Yeah, right. So I'll tell you what, we'll do it your way, and I'll just send pictures of dead puppies to you. How you like Yeah, that? right. You know, and then she's right. like, well, I'm not saying that. So, yeah, it's... It's that's how we follow up with it, and we try and make sure that you know that everybody does it. And had a really pretty good rate with doing that. You know, I mean, ideally in a perfect world where we had a lot of money, we do it. But the problem is because of the lack of vet care, you're looking at two hundred bucks to spay a female dog. Yeah. And if you're adopting it for two hundred bucks, and you're or you know as soon as they come in, the first thing they get weighed, they get vaccinated, depending on if they have mange or something else. So they get a mange treatment, flea and tick treatment. You know, and then the cost of food, the cost of puppy pads, you know, vet care. I mean, I'll do, when they come in and they're hurt, I'll typically do a triage thing of, okay, this dog either needs to get to a vet right now, or I can stabilize it and give it some something for pain and keep it through until morning time, you know, so we can get it to a vet to avoid the emergency vet fee. So, you know, there's a lot of costs that go in with it to where... It's just it isn't feasible where we're at right now to be able to spay and neuter every animal that goes out. Right, right. But right. we try and make sure, you know, like I say, we've got things in place to make sure that that's done on the back end. Okay, okay. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously that the, the, you're you're doing it for the greater problem, which is more dogs. And if you make sure every dog that comes out of here gets spayed or neutered, then you're going to have less dogs um, in the end. We, we had a golden years and years ago maybe like 20 years ago that she was a show line like you know all like ribboned out and everything else her parents were and the the thing with that was was she had to be like it was a a limited registration where they would never let you breed that dog so then i don't think it was i think it was purely competition they didn't want you to breed more show dogs which I, i know a lot of people that get a purebred dog and immediately you know, their plan is I'm going to buy two females, a male, and then we're going to have in-house 
every three months we're gonna have a litter of uh, 12 puppies and I'm gonna make money in this breeding situation. is yeah breeding is a, a big business yes right you know right. and that's what it is is it's a business and I mean I with the I have a lot of contacts with the ASPCA and the Humane Society and PETA and the other organizations and you know people don't see the dark side of puppy mills and of what happens I mean and it's horrific I mean it, it's worse than a lot of the livestock industry the way they're treated right you know and when you do see that more often that's why i have such a distaste for breeders um i know there are responsible ones and that's great but you know at the same time when somebody's out oh i want to make an extra 800 bucks and i want to you know breed and have these eight puppies okay you just created eight more puppies but these eight dogs die in the shelter because it's overcrowded and they don't have room. Sure. So it's like, you've got that 800 bucks, so how about I trade you a dead puppy for every $100? Yeah. And that's my mindset, and right. it's you know it's not necessarily right because people have a right to do that, but you know when you see so many dogs needing homes and shelters and when you have as many rescue contacts as I do, you know, for begging and pleading, hey, this dog has got 24 hours left. You yeah. Know, it frustrates me to see, but I mean, humans suck. Oh, yeah, no, humans are, right, you know, they're the but, problem with everything. I'll tell you what, humans, I mean, you know, if the lake that I'm on had no humans on it, it would be, like, teeming with fish constantly. And it's even just knuckleheads that catch stuff and don't release it correctly. They think they released it and it still died. I mean, yeah, no, humans jack up. I remember sitting in a, uh, we'd go out, hunt, and then go to Gallagher's Pub for lunch or something like that. And we, they'd see us with our hunting boots on and, you know, hunting gear that we came in there with. And the guy's like, ah, used to hunt around here and shoot pheasants all the time. And, you know, one time we went out and we shot 16 pheasants in one day. And I'm like, well, I looked at him and I'm like, who's we? And he's like, well, just me and my buddy. And I'm like, oh, and then the next thing out of his mouth is, and the damn coyotes ate all the pheasants. I'm like, no, dude. You shot them all. Like, yeah. you killed all of them. You, you and another guy, there's a two-pheasant bag limit on a day, and you both shot eight in a day. Yeah, there's no more birds. You killed them. Uh, so, you know, people got misconceptions. It's not them. It's generally human beings that jack up everything. Uh, but, um, you know, so, but for me, I, I couldn't do what you do because I don't think I could give up the dogs. Like, once you build... That dog, like you're saying, he's grateful for that's got to be awesome, first off. And then, secondly, like the nervousness of okay, now I gotta let this dog go to someone who could jack it up again. Like, that's got to be tough. It's got to be, it's you know, it's I mean, honestly, all of it's tough, and it's kind of been an evolution to where I mean, I just almost had like a nervous breakdown a couple about a month ago just because I get way too overwhelmed with everything, but it. You have to not give up. That has to be like the number one thing is that no matter what happens, I'm not going to give up. And that has carried me through up until this point. And when you lose one, what I've learned is whether it's two disease, whether you had to put it down, whether you had to take a vet to put it down, whatever the deal is, you can't dwell on it. I mean, I've done that. I've dwelled on it and I felt like crap. And I still do sometimes. But you have to just put it aside and move on and say, you know what, there's another one that needs to be saved. I couldn't do that one. Maybe I'll try a little harder next time or do something a little bit different. And a lot of times there's nothing that you could have done. You know, there's still, I, I read a book when I went up to uh, the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Utah. It's the largest animal sanctuary in the country. And one of the founders, I had lunch with her and she gave me a book. And one of the biggest things that happens in rescue is guilt. 
you know, guilt that you didn't do enough, guilt that you could have done more. And the thing is, is I'm not Superman. So, you know, I've got to know that there's boundaries, that you know what I can do, what I can do, and that's it. But, yeah, I mean, letting go, I would say, I think we're probably up to, like, somewhere between four and 5,000 rescued. And out of those, you know, I would say there's probably 400 that I really wanted to keep. And then there was 200 that I absolutely fell in love with. And then there was, like, 50 that it just killed me to let go. But the realization is that, you know what, if I let this one go, then that means that another one is going to be able to come in and yeah, right. And it's I mean, and it's sad sometimes. You know, that's like I've had some that I've held back. You know, Aaron or Kim, somebody will call me and be like, "Hey, there's you know a foster for this one. Is he ready to go?" And I'll want to keep it. And I'll be like, "No, nah, I'm just going to hold on it for one more week." And then I come to the point finally to where it's like I'll just come up and be like, "This dog needs to go today." Yeah, right. Because otherwise right. I'm keeping it. Because that's what I've got. I've got five dogs, that four of which are all from up there, and they're all mutants that were unadoptable. That, mm-hmm. You know, so you just you have to draw a line to where you can't keep. And I had this one, it was a husky named Henry, and he was just a born therapy dog. I mean, he was probably like a year and a half old, but was just the most mellow and chill and nice and like, and I get a lot of pit bulls that are like that, that are emotionally in tune to people to where they can read, you know, How come there's never, on. ever, like, because I mean, guy in a wheelchair, I've seen a whole mess of service dogs, never in my life seen a pit bull with a vest on, like a real, I mean, emotional dog or, you know, whatever, but never one that they're always, it's always a lab or a retriever or... The, with, with the last dog, it, I held him until found the absolute perfect person that had lost her dog and needed a dog like that and sent it to her. So that worked out good. With service dogs, actually, I, I talked to women about that. It costs to train a service dog mm-hmm. from start to finish. It's like thirty-two to $40,000. So they're real specific about the dogs that they use so they actually have breeders that breed dogs with those traits to become service dogs yeah. so that when they right. put all of this big investment you know but i think that at some point it'd be nice and that's what we looked at was trying to get something going with them because they do a program with the prisons about training service dogs into it with shelter dogs because i mean i've experienced it to where there's I had and it was a pit bull and he was freaking psycho. You know, he always wanted to play, wanted to run, wanted to jump nonstop, go, go, go. As soon as he saw you, just and I kept working on the jumping with him. And I had a buddy that uh, Mike, his his son was um, in the military, doing great, straight A's in school. Something happened with the girlfriend and he killed himself. Oh wow. And I saw it on Facebook and I looked and I'm like, no. And I went outside and I sat down and I just was looking at it and I'm not a big crier, but I started crying, you know, cause it just hit me that it's like, you know, I've known this kid since he was little. Sure. And this dog, this crazy insane pit bull comes running up and he literally, as he's getting ready to jump, he stops himself and he kind of looks at me, you know, and I'm still like sobbing, but I'm like wiping my eyes and he comes up and he puts his head against my chest. Yeah. And just sits there. Right. And that's all he's doing is he's just snuggling up against me. I mean, it's like, how he, can you tell me? his demeanor. Just yeah, I mean, like how that. can you tell me that this vicious breed, you know, is all bad when this dog came up and basically was like 
read what was going on. Sure, sure, sure. And no, I, I believe wholeheartedly there's no bad, you know, dog breeds. It's the way that they're yeah. treated to make them bad. But the problem with the pit bull for me is that they've got, if that dog does go bad, he's got the tools to jack some stuff up. There's a greater capacity due to breed side build to do damage than a Chihuahua, but right. I think Pitbull is actually number 11 on the most common dog bite list. Um, Huskies are way up there. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's another... So that's another one. Like, I see people... Uh, you know, I I like to have conversations with people, but generally I'm not a people person, like, in general. Like, you know, I don't want to have a conversation with 30 people because, uh, you know, be aggravated. Where I see people that are like they they post a picture of the brand new husky puppy that they bought for the three kids that are all under eight years old, and I'm like, that's gonna go south. That's bad. That's a bad idea. And it's purely on, you know, we saw the new Disney White Fang movie and it looked just like this dog, and that's what we want. Listen, you gotta pull your head out of your ass because that dog has got hundreds of years of you know, breeding engineering going on that says he's supposed to be pulling a sled somewhere. It's just like that, like that. His place is not like laying in front of your fireplace or whatever like that, or being on your Instagram or you know, because they're 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 super cool looking a husky. But and I'm not going to pick on a husky either. But like, there's all kinds of dog breeds that if you're a, um, I had a great aunt that had a cocker spaniel. The cocker spaniel loved that woman hated everybody else i mean hated everybody else you couldn't come anywhere near this lady's house she wanted to have people over for dinner and the dog had to be put away and the dog like you know in a room somewhere um because it would it would bite you it would take your ankles out if if it was around you now that's not a dog that you should buy when you've got little tiny kids just because they're gonna get bit by that dog that that comes i mean there's there's like high energy breeds I totally agree with you. Like a husky for little kids probably isn't going to be a good thing. But it comes back to number one, education, which I think they should actually teach something in schools about kids and pets and about people that get pets to realize that, okay, another living being isn't a thing. It's not a toy. It's not Mm -hmm. a present. If you're going to bring something that's sentient, that can, you know, has emotions, then you need to make an educated decision as a family that, hey, this is a family member and we're gonna have to adjust things and we're gonna have to spend time training. Like that dog biting everybody, you could fix that in a week and a half. Sure, you know, sure, you sure. Just, you, that's the thing is, is you need to educate yourself on the problem I think that we run into and my, my distaste for humanity is that, you know, we don't wanna do that a lot of times. You know, we yeah, want the I, easy way I've want got a, I've got a lady from uh, Blitzen Dog Academy coming on the podcast to talk about because when we were when i was a kid we had uh, english premier spaniels and the one was like he was a terrific dog for hunting and stuff but he had figured out that his place in the pack in the house was maybe like third and we had five people in the house so like you know some people were below him as far as what he thought and we took it to a guy named rojan who was out of uh, frankfurt and it was amazing to me with what like it was like three or four couple hour sessions that this guy could correct with the dog like we had a situation where that dog if you went to the front door to leave that dog would bolt he would bust through the front door and be gone this rojan guy had the dog 
settled out that you had to take him to every doorway to do this with him, but it was just a goofy trick he taught us to do with the dog at the doorway. The dog would not go out of the doorway until you went out the doorway first, all the time then. And it was solved. He says, the dog is like a computer. Once you program it to do this thing, it does that thing at that doorway. Now, if you take it somewhere else and move to another house, you may have the same situation. You gotta redo it again at the new doorway, but he's not, they, he creates a situation where the dog doesn't trust the doorway and then he won't go out until you go out sort of a deal so yeah that would be great if someone had some more probably solve some of your problems if they had more of a knowledge of what to do as far as the it's, obedience goes just yeah i mean you can you know that's the thing is if you're having a problem with your dog because i get a lot of people that'll ask me and my training you know isn't anything professional it's more or less experience based and from some of the things that i've read but you know google man People yeah, it's like you know, it's, it's oh, like it's so go. Awesome. I mean, Amazon, oh. go on, and you know, the there's one. It's the monks of Newskeet, the art of raising a dog or raising a family member. I can't think exactly what it's called, but it's something along that. And it's an awesome book, you know. And it goes through that entire process, and it, it talks about that. It talk, you know, and to me, if you're going to buy a dog, you should have to get that book or get some kind of book with it, because it talks about how the dog, you know, knowing its place makes it a better family, makes it a better family as a whole. Sure, you know, sure, and sure, having sure. discipline and having kennel time, you know, and making the dog wait to go outside and different things that it helps the dog because the dog understands. And I think the biggest problem with training issues you have is family consistency. Dad does one thing, mom lets the dog get away with sure, things, the kid sure. doesn't that. So that for the dog, you know, the one person thinks, oh, that's mean. Well, by not having consistency, that's what's mean to the dog because they're confused because they're like, all right, it's cool if I do this with you, but now I'm a dick if I do this with you. So it's like, yeah, you know, confusing as well. They well, need consistency. The other thing is, people sometimes add emotion to a dog that that dog doesn't have. The, uh, you know, we, we had dogs for years and years and years growing up, and we never had a kennel or a crate or anything like that. Once we started creating the dogs, it's way better. It's a way better environment. We would have the, uh, the black, the girlfriend's black lab with uh, uh, the crate open, and if the dog was bored or tired of going to take a nap, he would just go in the crate and take a nap anyway. Door open. That's Does, a safe space. Yeah, safe space. It's his spot. The well, that there's a rule there too. You know, some people go beat that dog or whatever like that into the into the crate. First off, I don't beat the dog. That's just a dumb thing to do in the first place. But definitely, I would never be like punishing or hollering at the dog while he's in his crate. That that's his spot. That's the only spot that's his in the entire house. That's his spot. So, um, you know, people think somehow creating a dog is, is a bad situation. It's not. The bad situation is you didn't create the dog. You left him out in the house the entire day. You left for four hours. You came back. You chewed the couch up. Then you beat the shit out of the dog for chewing the couch up. If he's in the crate, that wouldn't happen in the first damn place. So you wouldn't have had your couch would still be intact. The dog wouldn't hate you. Like, everything comes off of that. The dog's still a dog, so put him in a crate. It's a safe environment for him when the when the door's shut when you're gone too. So like you know, we always created the dogs, and then you know we've always had we had two crates in the garage, and our goldens used to go in the garage, and you'd find them in the crates every single time. They they liked it. They had their own too. Like I had two goldens. You'd never find the other one in the other one's crate. They want to be in yeah. Any, they're in their own. They're in their own spot. And... Right, right, for sure. Um, so yeah, so I mean, you know, if somebody's watching the video, uh, you know, by all means share it. Uh, I'll try and put. Uh, I haven't done a live one yet, so I don't know, but I'll try and put like uh, 
some uh, links to your uh, Facebook page and stuff like that yeah. on this video when I'm done. Uh, the original reason you uh, messaged me to be on was the gun thing. You have a different gun culture up in, and I mean, you know, you've got uh, law enforcement uh, uh, background too. Did you look at, uh, did you see Karen's, the the podcast with me and her when we did the gun thing? No. Um, I, I was amazed. I think she got some backlash um, because, you know, on social media, I come from a position of my, I come from a gun culture. Uh, me and my dad don't get along, but I'll tell you what, that guy knows guns. He's a former Marine, Vietnam vet. We There was guns and ammo books around the house all the time. I grew up in a gun culture, but the gun culture that I grew up in was a hunting culture. And the gun culture that Karen showed up with was she'd like to take an AR-15 hunting and stuff like that, which to me is preposterous. It's absolutely preposterous. I look at it and I think it's it's uh, it's it, it, it like something you're compensating for something uh, with that gun in your hand, where um, you know it, shotguns and rifles they have their it's a different tool for a different job. So I come from a gun gun culture, but I think when we got done with the podcast, we agreed on really too much. Uh, people that are, come from a side where they think that there can be something done in a um, le- you know legislative way to help stop the mass shootings that go on get upset with me because I believe that that, that something can be done that way, and you know she still was pretty common sensey, and I think that that she got some backlash because if it's not a completely slippery slope and uh, the answer to every gun problem is more guns, uh, bad, good guy with a gun in the situation, which I think is a preposterous situation. If I'm in a crowded area and there's a shooter there, another shooter is probably not going to be helpful. And if law enforcement shows up, how do they know who's the original shooter and who's the... How we know a good... We all have got white hats and black hats on. So, like, I don't know what your take on that is. And like I said, you're in North Dakota now. There's a gun culture up there, too, that's completely different than here. It's, I guess the easiest way I get someone up is, is both sides need to bend and it needs to be an all-encompassing solution dealing with, you know, a, more of a background check and something to address mental health. Um, I think that there should be a higher standard for certain firearms and I caught a lot of flack about that. Um, I'm not against the public being able to own an AR, but if you want to get a class three license to have something that's fully auto, you've got to go through a more extensive check to be able to get that. And you've yeah. got to pay a little bit extra. I mean, I don't see why that should be an issue. Um, and I, I think the other thing for me personally, and I know there's a lot of people that disagree on this is that I don't see any reason why you can't take service members that are ex military and have them be at schools and have them be okay that's your function is that you know you are a security guard that does have access to a firearm to be able to defend the school and people a lot of times will argue against that and i mean I've, as a deputy i've gone through active shooter training and the thing if, if everything else fails for the safeguards if the you know they slip through the mental health cracks and they slip through the background checks or they get it whatever when they end up in that school and they fire that first round, the only thing that saves those kids is time. And it depends on where I'm at. Am I at, like if it happened in our county, and if we're all at a call that's 40 miles away. Oh yeah, right, you can't you know, get there. Yeah. Then 
the the more kid the more time that shooter has the more people are going to die until he runs out of ammo or until he quits right so the faster you can get the response time is what saves people and i'm all good with doing stuff on the on the front end but in the meantime it's going to keep happening you're going to have people keep dying so i think from a law enforcement perspective let's protect and then while we're protecting, let's fix all this other stuff. Well, you're talking about it, somebody that would be, obviously, if you put a guy in a position where you're, this is your job, you're ex-military, you're going to give him some sort of identifying uniform or something that when well, local law enforcement, law enforcement I mean, if, shows up, they're going to know who's who. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is, is they're going to know who the resource officer is or who the security officer is sure, for, sure. for that, you know. So, I mean, that takes out that. That thing, and if, and just for the general public, if you're ever in a situation and there is an active shooter and you are armed and you engage the active shooter and law enforcement shows up, immediately drop the weapon, find a safe place, put your hands in the air. Yeah, right, right. You know, right. that's that's it. And if you no, no, I see that as a viable, I see it, I don't see it as a solution. I see that as a viable bridge to get to a spot where we have a better system in place to keep the, you know, the, the, I do see it as a problem with certain guns. And because of the hunting background that I come from, you know, when you're pheasant hunting or goose hunting, I'm allowed three shells in the gun. That's it. Then I got to reload three shells. So that that's all I got. But if I've got an AR, then I've got a 50-round magazine. Well, that's a completely different animal now. Now I, I can let, let 50 rounds go, and it takes no time to pop a brand new magazine and i got 50 more to go again you know you're you got a pump shotgun or even an automatic shotgun a semi-automatic shotgun i gotta still stuff three shells into this thing for three more shots now every time that i gotta stop and stuff three shells in there someone could tackle my ass and get this done even from a law enforcement background i know that from my dad being a guy that was a uh, auxiliary will county cop at a certain distance, if I have a gun and you have a gun, even in a holster, you're not trained to get your gun. You're trained to go hands with the guy because you've got a better chance of getting a hold of him with your hands than you do. You actually have to make a move backwards for a gun where if your hands are available, you can go right to him. Uh, what do they say? A knife you're to back up, but a gun you charge the guy? charge either way oh well, i mean I honestly I mean, it's that if someone's got a sharp object you you need to you, if you keep your distance you're going to be safe if it's basically it's crashing distance um i, I ended up teaching self-defense for a lot of years and if you have somebody that has a baseball bat you know where do you want to be do you want to be at the end of that bat which is the effective range to where it's going to yeah. strike or do you yeah. want to be right in the guy's now baseball bat i go for him every time i mean it's the same it's the same thing with as far as an edged weapon with the training that i've had is, is if you cannot create distance and get away until you can arm yourself in a way that you have an equal or greater tool to be able to engage that threat sure then go inside you know, sure. go inside and try. Well, and boxing's get that way, that right? Yeah. So if I've got a guy that's throwing big outside stuff, I step inside, and then he can't he can't hit me the same way. Yeah. Um, the the knife thing, obviously, you can do a lot of damage with somebody up close with a knife. You know, if he's got the knife in his hand. Um, for me, also, I think one of the things that was maybe controversial that that went on in the podcast with Karen was, I said that a gun is a completely stupid 
It's not a defensive weapon. That's an offensive weapon. That is not a shield. It's the thing that you... If, you know, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're super trained with a gun. If I have a gun or if I don't have a gun and my objective today is I'm the I'm the wolf. I'm the guy stalking you. You're a guy with a arm, you know, you're a law enforcement guy. You've got the gun in a holster. You're open carry, right? You, you know, I can see the gun on you. All I need to do is get the right vantage point and I can I can take you out. You're not walking around pointing the gun at everybody all the time. It's a it's a it's an offensive thing to do, not a defensive thing to do. The bulletproof vest is is defensive because it's a shield from the from the thing. If you're saying that in a crowded situation, the right the right thing is to unleash some more bullets, I'd I'd argue that that's not the way to to, to solve this problem. You're then generally going to hit somebody that's not involved in this situation. When two parts to that, when you're being attacked in any way with anything, regardless of what it is, gun, knife, whatever. If it's, it's, it's a tool that's being used to cause harm to you, if you can use the same tool to try and stop that harm, then you're using that in a defensive way. But I agree, and the thing I think that needs to happen with concealed carry is that needs to be a way more in-depth class because concealed carry, the number one problem with it in almost every state that I've seen it in, and I've taken it in two different states, is that it teaches people how to paper target shoot. And they sit there and they have all the time in the world to line up the sights and make a nice little hole or a nice big hole. And they put all the rain, you know, their stuff down range. And when I went to one of the classes, I'd already gone through a combat shooting class. And, you know, the guy said, okay, go. And you had 30 seconds to fire off. I think it was like 10 rounds. So thing went off. I fired off the 10 rounds in about three seconds. And he's like, why did you do that? He's like, your rounds are all over the paper. I said, every single one of those rounds is in an 8 by 10 sheet of paper. I said, because if you run into a situation where you've got to engage a threat, you are not going to have time to line up the sights. You're not going to have time to do that. So I think where the danger comes in of the good guy with a the gun um, theory is that you have most shooters, they're target shooters. And you might be an awesome target shooter. I mean, you might be able to put everything through a dime-sized hole, but... It takes you time to do that, and there's no stress. When you do combat shooting, which is basically, okay, you've got an 8x10 target, which is center mass, and you want to put as many rounds in there as quickly as you can, but also doing it with movement, also doing it behind cover, and also doing drills like, okay, drop down and do 15 push-ups, and then as soon as you stand up, now draw that weapon and fire it in because that simulates an adrenaline dive. So with these concealed carry things, if we're going to have the good guy with the gun thing, then the good knives need a lot more training than what's given right sure, now. Sure, sure. And I, I, like, I, like I said, I'm coming from a position where I have never in my life ever thought to myself, I'm going to go wherever I'm going to go. I think I'm going to carry a gun with me. Like, that's never been that's never been my thought. I've never even, like, I'm, I'm a guy busting around now in a wheelchair. I mean, seriously, I'm a turtle, man. The minute you flip me on my back, like, onto the ground, like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, fighting anyone anymore i and i've been here i'll be 17 years in this chair come this spring i still don't roll around the world 
afraid every day that someone's going to shoot me or steal something from me or any stuff. And then the other thing I guess that I have to put in there is, listen, if I'm walking around and I got 50 bucks on me, which I don't even usually have that on me, now it's credit cards and all the other stuff. I don't, I don't ever, you know, I'm not dealing in cash. But even if I had $200 on me and someone said, okay, someone's going to rob you today. I've got a crystal ball and I've seen it. And you can carry this gun, shoot this person to death over $200 or just give them the 200 bucks. I'll give them the 200 bucks. I'm not taking somebody's life over $200. And I'm never carrying $200 anyway. So, you know, the, for me, it's a false sense of security. And then you also roll into two times in my life, which is not a big thing to say because I've been in way too many scuffles to even go through them all. But two times in my life, I've been in situations where uh, a guy had a pipe and he was fighting Shanahan and guy with the pipe the huge biggest mistake he made today was the pipe because if Dan didn't get a hold of the pipe he wouldn't have broke the guy's arms another one was bouncer that I don't know if you know the guy or not Roy in uh, in Joliet same situation guys had softball bats they decided they were gonna you know and Roy warned them like three times put the bats away boys you're gonna get in big trouble he ended up breaking both their arms with the bats because you brought one guy's an animal and the other guy's not an animal. So you can all you did was up the ante when you brought the weapon into the situation. You were going to get a, you know, you have 10 minutes to go. You, you got to, sorry, man. Uh, you gotta, you got to try and work out or no? You gotta no, I got to be somewhere. Sorry, so sorry. It's all good. Uh, but so all they did was up the ante. So now when Granny's got the twenty two in her purse and the guy goes to mug her for what's in her purse and she tries to get the gun out, Granny just went from she's going to lose the $30 she had in her purse to now she's probably going to get shot. But the thing, too, on the flip side of that is, is what was Granny's potential of being harmed? Because I know that I've gone to a lot of calls to where basically they just said I had a gun and the guy stopped trying to kick the door in. I mean, and it, here's another example, too. Oh, sure, sure, that's great, but you don't need a gun for that. You just say you got it. Yeah, you say you got it, but what happens if that person does break the door down? You know what I mean? I've, I'm sorry. I, I get it, and I think that if we can fix all the the bad guys, and if we can get all the bad guys' guns off the streets, that's great. But yeah. I mean, from what from what I've personally seen, you know, it's a tool to be able to. It's a force equalizer to where if if you're more powerful than I am, and you intend to do me physical harm, then that's a tool that I can use to equal that out. Oh, I don't, and, I don't, I don't and, disagree. And, and to me, money, no, I wouldn't shoot somebody over money. And I've been mugged before when I used to repo cars and been in some sticky situations. And the only time that you should use a, a weapon like a firearm is if you're in fear of great bodily harm or death and if it's a substantial thing. you know. And in those cases, I mean, I carry all the time. You know, not right now. It's in the truck. But, sure. you know, and... I don't do it because I'm afraid. I do it, I mean, for me personally, because I'm still a sworn peace officer, and even though this isn't my jurisdiction, if there was something that happened that somebody was getting stabbed or shot or whatever, I've got a duty to respond. Sure. But, you know, that's the, that's the only thing that I look at it as is just it's a tool, and it's a tool that if I run into a situation where somebody, they're using something that has a similar level of force, if you've got a gun and you're shooting up a school or you're doing whatever... There's not a whole lot that I can do other than the human shield thing 
and that really isn't effective. But if I have something that I can use that'll put us on closer to the same level, then I'm going to take advantage of that. Right. But no, I, think I, it I, just, I don't disagree need, with that at need, all. There needs to be more more training. There needs the to training, be more training. Right. You right. And I agree. Legislation. Right. And it needs to be just arming well, teachers is probably not a great idea as far as like not unless you're going to send them into a combat shooting thing. And I, I mean, there, there's a way that it would be feasible if you had teachers that wanted to do it that were okay with doing it. That's not something that you should be forcing somebody into right. and mandatorily arming teachers. But if you've got a school and you've got four teachers that are like, hey, you know, I'd like to do it, and you actually put them through a combat shooting class, you know. Now, that all sounds great, but we're not, we're not even buying magic markers for our teachers. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we don't have money for that. So now we got money to send them to. And I mean, some of that stuff. For me, it's a freedom thing too. Listen, if you're if you get your kicks and you have a lot of fun going to the range and shooting paper targets or you know doing Hogan's Alley and you're you know things come out. Hey, if if that's fun for you, I think that's great. It's a free country. I think you should be able to do that stuff. I'm never one that says that we should be confiscating guns or anything like that. I do look at some guns and be like, all right, listen, if you're the problem with the gun thing is is you can. Turn a certain age in Illinois, buy a get a Floyd card, you know, your background check. You never got any trouble. You'd be the biggest bonehead in the world, and you can go buy whatever gun you want. They don't look at you and go, "Okay, you're 21 years old. You can only buy these shotguns. You got to wait till you're 28 to buy that AR." Nope, right away. You can go right there if you've got the dough and buy something that you could walk into a crowd and just start whacking away. And it's think, just insane. I think that needs to change. And you got to realize, just for people that don't know me, I was the survivalist. I still have the freeze-dried food and the medicine and the ammo and the guns. A prepper? And I, and I have, yeah, I mean, yeah. before before it was being a prepper. I mean, I right. had this stuff 15 years ago just from simple preparedness and I was a very staunch Second Amendment supporter that, you know, thou shall not infringe and there's no way that you should be able to take away my right to keep bare arms and that meant all I mean, and I was hardcore in that sure. and the, it, a slow realization and understanding and, and maturing I think, and that offends some people when I say that I matured to a point that my stance has changed that was just my personal evolution to now the understanding that okay you know what some of these things, no, every person, everybody should have the right to keep and bear arms, but we should kind of look at regulating a little bit more some of these arms. Because then I had a, a buddy that, I mean, I, I had a Facebook post that just went absolutely I nuts. think I caught part of it. Yeah, and it went bad. I mean, I right. ended up unfriending a couple of people. One guy, like, went on a personal crusade on his own Facebook page, like, against me and my job and all kinds of stuff because he was so mad. But, I mean, I think we just need to be reasonable about it because, plain and simple, there are some people that have weapons that I don't feel comfortable with them having because I know they're freaking whack chops. You know yeah, what I mean? And right, it's like, and, right. and yeah, you know, okay. Well, my problem is the, the ballistics of it all, too. If, you, if you've if you got this AR-15 and you think you're going to do home defense with this and you live in a vinyl-sided box if, all tight against everybody else, then you just start pounding off full metal jacket freaking rounds with your 223 in the house that's going through that vinyl sided wall and into the next house too where if you've got a shotgun it's it's probably not making it in there so well, i mean I and that's the thing with regulation again then okay get frangible rounds for the 223 i mean there, there's there's things you can do but the problem is is like nobody cares about any of this 
until another school gets shot up. So, we're, you know, nobody's no, no, going no, right. to do anything. I just think that there should be then... more education to that stuff. Like mm-hmm. I said, I grew up in a house where guns and ammo was laying there. My my dad could tell you the drop in 50 yards on a 22 round if, if there's hardly any, in, you know, in, in 50 yards. But on a 223, the round drops a whole lot faster. So, like, he knew the ballistics of what was going on. So he knew the tool he had in his hand when he was using that tool where – there's no regu- there's no there's no reason that you need to know that stuff to buy that thing, which is insane to me. And it's the same thing with you don't go buy your 16 year old son of Oldsmobile 442 and go, all right, son, hit the road. He's gonna go kill somebody today with 442 horsepower. That's too much car. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta like you know work into this situation. And then, you know, so like. It sounds like, and I mean, you know, next time you're back in town, by all means, come back and we'll continue this conversation because you've got a background in it. But like me and Karen left it with similar stuff. She's like, yeah, there needs to be more training. Yes, there needs to be more like, you know, maybe someone that wants a 15 AR-15s, you need to take another look at them. And psychologically, why do you need, why do you need 10,000 rounds of ammunition at your house? And maybe it's just because he enjoys it and that's fine. But if there's some sort of psychological profile that we can go through to make sure you're not a guy who's, you know, gonna wage a you know assault on some crowd or something like that, because they're out there, obviously. So you know those kind of things, you know, like need to be fixed. But otherwise, we left there, and I think she got some flack from the people that you're talking about that you got in arguments with because it's the slippery slope, tyrannical government. Listen, if you haven't paid attention to our armed forces and you think somehow from your guns that you got at Walmart, you're going to overtake that, you're on crack because they're going to squish you like a grape. I mean, Ruby Ridge, these things all happen where these people who are trained people with the guns didn't fare so well. Waco, you know what I mean? Like it all went bad. Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah. Right. <laughs> we'll have to talk right, about it. another long over. subject. You got a place to be, but thanks, man. Uh, like I said, I'll try and put some, some stuff out there. Please, if you're looking at this video, subscribe, share the video, um, get the word out on the, on the shelter stuff. Um, it's good to see you. You too. Yeah, it's been a long, long time.